0: Good morning. That was great singing from the choir to the congregational songs. was terrific. I love to sing. Singing helps me worship. For most of our lives, when we've lived in French-speaking Africa, we did not have the opportunity to worship in song in our mother tongue. Sometimes there's a little pat on my leg when we're singing over at the church I attend at Emmaus, not so loud, not so loud, the gift of singing and the gift of worship. I'd like us to pray this morning before we launch into the message. Lord Jesus, we are mindful of what you said. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. You also promised help and the empowering of your spirit whenever we had an opportunity to serve you. And so we pray to that end this morning that you would enable me Help me and also speak to the hearts and minds of those who listen to me this morning. We trust in you and we pray that everything that's said, the words of our mouths, the meditations of our heart would be honoring and pleasing. Glorifying to you, Lord. Father, thanks for such a privilege to pray to you at any time because of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Friday night, we spoke on the theme, the gospel, a lamp in a dark place. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. I will reread the verse from where that phrase comes, and then we will continue, and I will be reading from a passage in chapter 3, 2 Peter 1, So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place till the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Turn over to chapter 3, 2 Peter. I'll be reading the first 14 verses. This now... Beloved, the second letter I am writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking Following after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come, like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved... Since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless, and blameless. Niger was the last country in French-speaking sub saharan Africa where Marcy and I lived. Only 19% of the population has access to electricity. In the capital city, Nehemiah, where we lived, outages were frequent, sporadic, and long. And it reminds me of a ministry event that made a very powerful impression upon us related to light and the darkness. We had organized a campus-wide event on the theme of love, sex, and marriage. would begin at eight thirty, nine 9 o'clock at night after the final Muslim prayer, be held in the open-air circular amphitheater in the middle of the dorms. Electricity had been bad of late in the capital city. So our crew team, staff and students, we prayed fervently that the electricity would stay on. But being wise, we also prayed fervently that our backup generator would work in case we needed to use it. We went over about 8 o'clock. The Muslims were doing their final prayer and we The electricity was already off. So we were setting up with our flashlights because we didn't want to turn the generator on yet. So we sat up in the dark, really. Uh, And then 10 minutes before the event started, we fired up the generator. Uh, One of the funniest things that happened that night was the MC was so nervous. Because there were about 400 Muslim students there and 20 Christians, the MC, I want to introduce... Uh, Mr. Tom, uh, he first came to French-speaking Africa in 1887. (laughs) Okay, I know I'm getting older, but... So, I started this 75-minute talk. Uh, The generator gave us enough light for my little desk lamp uh, and for the sound system. I was sitting on a stage, and the students were out here like this, and uh, uh, about 15 minutes into the, to- into the talk, our generator went south, so we stopped and tried to fix it, none of the students left, and uh, we never got it started, so the only solution was me to get up from behind the table where I was sitting, that's the way they do things over there, and I walked up to the front row of students, it's semi-circular. I was literally two or three feet from the, uh, from the first students. No longer did we have sound, so I had to speak with the natural voice. And a crew student came and held the flashlight for the entire rest of the time. So imagine the scene, the entire campus is dark, an amphitheater with 400 Muslim students, one little light shining on my notes as I was talking about the theme. Something incredibly dynamic happened. The audience kind of came alive after the lights came off, and the staff afterwards said, yeah, you know, the peer pressure in Islam, everybody's kind of watching their neighbor. Because it was dark, everybody was free. So they were hooting and hollering, and and it was just the most dynamic campus-wide event almost that we'd ever had. Afterward, 140, 150 students signed up for more information. We could go see them in the dorms. Afterward, my Niger colleague ran up to me immediately after it was over, and he said, it's a miracle, it's a miracle, it's a miracle. This is all happening in French, of course. It's a miracle. And all I could think of was, and my heart worshipped. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overpower it. Friday night I raised the question, how do we propagate the light of the gospel? Whether we're in Newton, Harvey County, or in French-speaking sub saharan Africa with Muslim students. I mentioned six principles, and I'm going to mention five more this morning. Principles for propagating the light of the gospel of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. First, by nourishing our souls on the word of God. For the community of faith, it has always been true, has it not, that man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. American culture is more polarized and fractured than ever. Political antagonism today are strong. The rhetoric in the press so vitriolic. Issues like transgenderism, critical race theory, are generating tremendous divisiveness. The mistrust of authority, the mistrust of science, are high. Many of the ads we see as midterm elections approach, so malicious, so spiteful. How is the follower of Jesus to navigate his way in such a time as this, by filling our minds with his mind as we have it in the Holy Scriptures, we must not only maintain but strengthen the disciplines of solitude, of quiet. Of reading and of meditation. I do not think that 10 minutes of our daily bread and 10 hours of Fox News is going to get the job done. I'm not saying we shouldn't be well informed. I am well informed. I read, I read broadly, I read opposing viewpoints. But I'm asking you personally this morning are you reading the Bible for yourself consistently, thoughtfully, unhurriedly? How would you answer that question personally? We memorized these words when we were younger, we still remember them, most of them. What is written? How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his his, his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates. Amen and night. He'll be like a tree, firmly planted, and it goes on and it finishes with the great promise. And whatever he does, he prospers. We really like the promise part, don't we? All I'm trying to say is that if you and I are going to be propagators of the light of the gospel in these days, whether I'm here, and I live in Butler County, in two weeks I'll be in the Central African Republic, or if I'm there... We must be sure that his voice is the voice that resonates loudest in the room of my mind. We must keep coming to the light, as Jesus said in that great text, which we're going to read, where he contrasts darkness and light and links together truth and freedom. Truth and light. I would like you to read with me in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 19. Jesus says, This is the judgment that the light has come into the world. And men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed, but he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God." I was up country in Niger, 10 hours from the capital city for two weeks for a special student leadership training in evangelism and discipleship. Ten student leaders and myself, we were housed in three classrooms that were loaned to us by the junior high in that city. Now, don't think that those classrooms in that school building were anything like your school buildings here in Newton. We had three simple classrooms, And then on the outside, we had two latrines built side-by-side. They were about uh, five-foot square, about five-foot high, made out of cinder block, and the two set on a cement uh, pad over the latrine pit. In the middle of each separate privy, there was an eight-inch diameter hole, And we used those to both shower by means of a bucket and for the needs of the body. If you stood up and your neighbor stood up, you you could be about this high. We discovered the first night that the latrine pit was home thousands of cockroaches. We went to the privy at night. When we shined our flashlight onto the floor, it was a carpet before. God, I'm telling you the truth. It was a carpet of cockroaches. You could not see a single square inch of cement. As soon as we shined the flashlight into the privy onto the floor, All these cockroaches, down the hole. They're all gone. Whenever I used the privy at night, I kept my flashlight on. (laughs) (laughs) Cockroaches hate the light. Christians, come to the light of the word of God. It is written, the unfolding of thy words gives light. How do we propagate the light of the gospel? By nourishing our souls with the word of God. Secondly, by keeping our hearts free from negative emotions. Uh, I am somewhat of a passionate person. I can get worked up rather quickly and uh, strongly. Uh, in the very early uh, days of COVID, Just a few days after some of the local businesses started requiring masks to enter their business, I was in North Dillon's, and an employee came up to me and asked me to either put on a mask or leave. I confess to you this morning that internally inside of me it was not love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. My mission organization, crew, which used to be Campus Crusade for Christ, when COVID came, they adopted a very conservative, very cautious approach to allowing staff to travel internationally. That's my job. I travel all the time internationally to French-speaking Africa. So they created a COVID crisis team which had final authority on anyone wanting to travel internationally. I thought it was a horrible decision to leave such decisions in the hands of professional administrators for us who are field people. But that's what the organization decided. I had been invited to go to Chad, where I have been involved since 1993. We have a powerful ministry in Chad. Marcy and I start started. 1993. We know the staff there. I've been there often. So I wanted to go to Chad, and I had to jump through so many hoops. It was really frustrating. I'm speaking euphemistically. The straw that broke the camel's back was the head of the crisis committee in Orlando, Florida, our headquarters, called and he said, do uh, you know that where you want to go over there and chat is a, it's dangerous over there? He said, did you know that Boko Haram is active in that region? Over the phone I said, yes, but internally, oh Really? I didn't know that. Thanks for informing me. And he said, did you know that Chad shares a border with Nigeria? Again, over the phone, I said, yes. Internally? Oh, maybe I better look up the old geography book again. It was so... Anyway, we, we, the phone conversation was short because I was so mad. He didn't know I was mad, (laughs) but if you'd have touched me, I'd have exploded and venom would have come out. I finally got permission to go. All I'm saying is that there are certain circumstances and situations in our life today that engender powerful emotions, many of which are negative, destructive, and enduring, and we need to deal with them. We've got to keep our hearts clean and free. I'd like you to read with me in Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. I'm guessing you know verse 32. You may not know 31 as well. 31's a negative, 32's a positive. A tremendous passage. Tremendous words. French translation, frankly, is better Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Some versions say, Get rid of all. The French version says, Let all of that disappear. And then the positive, Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. We are admonished to keep our hearts free and clean from destructive negative emotions of hate and resentment and animosity and jealousy and disdain and contempt. that no root of bitterness spring up among us. The verses are binding on us. Now, when I say that we must keep our hearts free from negative and destructive emotions, I am not saying that we should not have convictions about issues. You and I have strong convictions about sexuality and marriage given to us from God in the truth of his word. Those convictions are good and normal. But when I harbor anger or resentment or ill feeling to somebody in the LGBT plus movement and I let it persist, then I've got a sin problem. You and I have strong convictions about the sanctity of human life. We heard from uh, the Heartland. Those convictions are good and normal. The child in the womb is created in the image of God with the soul. But if I am constantly upset, I have very close family relatives on my side who are very pro abortion if I guard animosity and unforgiveness in my heart toward them, then I've got a sin problem. Holding convictions is legitimate. Harboring negative, destructive emotions isn't. How am I going to communicate the light of the gospel of Jesus to someone against whom I have ill feeling? or whom I resent, or whom I belittle, or for whom I'm contemptuous. How am I going to be like the employee at Dylan's that raised my dander by his comment? I was in no shape to say, hey, have you ever heard of the four spiritual laws? It'll help us propagate the light of the gospel of the grace of God in Jesus if we'll keep our hearts free, clean. I go back to Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 over and over and over again. We are to do that just as God in Christ has forgiven you. That phrase is beautiful. It's too strong. I am to forgive and be gracious in the same way that God has been forgiving and gracious to me. That's exactly what it says. They didn't deserve that I be nice to them. I didn't deserve that he be nice to me, did I? All right, third. I'm going to create more problems here. By God-honoring thinking, and in parentheses I put, which implies a judicious connection to mass media. We become good propagators of the light of the gospel by God-honoring thinking, which for me implies a judicious connection to mass media. In these days in our country, we must think soberly, reasonably, and sensibly. We shouldn't let the familiarity with the old verses not affect us. What is written, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is right. Whatever is pure. And in the New American Standard, at the end of the verse, it says, Let your mind dwell. Let your mind dwell on these things. Is it not written elsewhere, as a man thinks within himself, so he is? Watch over your hearts with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. What do we teach our children? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. What do we teach her? Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. So much of what is coming at us today in our country through the media comes with a great deal of invective, of vilification, of demagoguery, of denunciation, the language. How can this be healthy for the soul of someone seeking to live a godly life? How can that be healthy for someone? For the soul of somebody who's trying to live a godly life and make a difference for Jesus as an ambassador of Christ. Someone has said that social platforms bring out our most moralistic and least reflective selves, and I believe that's true. As we know, they are the great progenitors of misinformation. Listen. Listen. We say that we follow Jesus. He is truth incarnate. That's what he said, right? I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Therefore, any distortion of truth is an anomaly in the life of a Christian. We must be well-informed, but we would be wise to regulate our media intake to ensure that we are maintaining God-honoring thinking. Fourth principle, how do we become good propagators of the light of the gospel of Jesus? This is an old one. It is simply this, by being good Samaritans. By being good Samaritans, I mean by being good neighbors. And that applies whether I'm trying to share the light of the gospel in Butler County or in the Central African Republic. We must be good neighbors and good Samaritans. I do not have time and I will not reread or give the details of the parable of Jesus, of the good Samaritan. As you know, an expert in the Mosaic law was testing him. And at one point he asked the question, and who is my neighbor? And who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the parable of the good Samaritan. I'm sure it shattered all the paradigms of that Mosaic teacher of the law. The question is still pertinent, who is my neighbor? Is my neighbor the radicalized Muslim who systematically burned every church in our city of Nehemiah in January 2015, is he my neighbor? The lesbian couple who lives right next door to me, are they my neighbors? My neighbor who outbid me on a piece of ground that I have long coveted, is he my neighbor? The employee at North Dillon's who made that comment to me, is he my neighbor? Jesus totally reset the standard of what it meant to be a good neighbor when he said, when he taught, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Do we really think about what that means? To love your What does that mean today for the Christian in the current American cultural context? What does that mean? Love your neighbor. To do good to those who hate you. To bless those who curse you. And to pray for those who mistreat you. Let your mind dwell on these things. I was in the country of Burkina Faso doing an evangelistic Bible study with a non-practicing but still Muslim student, extremely bright. 11 o'clock at night, no electricity there either. We're sitting on little stools around a little wooden table, had a little kerosene lamp on it, and we were talking about the uniqueness of the life and teaching of Jesus, and I had him read this. And we're leaning over this table with this little dim, and he read that, those verses in Luke chapter 6, love your enemies. What? What? Exactly how he reacted. He understood what Jesus was saying. He said, that can't be. I want to say something about being a good neighbor. Every single person whom you and I might encounter on any given day is an individual created in the image of God and as such is endowed With worth, dignity, and splendor. Every single person on this planet, however different from you and me they might be, is an image bearer and called to a transcendent destiny. I must view him and treat him as such. This is not Always easy. Have you been right next to a transgendered person? I have. A guy who is becoming a girl. I am not going to go into any details. Is he a person created in the image of God? Is he an image bearer? We will make progress in the propagation of the light of the gospel. We are truly good Samaritans and good neighbors. One last point. I'll try to... We're good propagators of the light of the gospel by keeping an eternal perspective. And when I say that, I mean by keeping the big picture of the timeline of history. I think we're a little bit too caught up in the here and now. The here and now. That's the existentialism of Western culture. But we need to remember the past and we need to remember what's been promised about the future. We need to have what's called long views. Long view backward. Long view forward. And it will help us. We need to remember how God in his love and power, sovereignty, and faithfulness has worked in the past through the patriarchs, the prophets, through the people like Ruth and Esther and Daniel and Mordecai, how he accomplished his purposes through the apostles, through the reformers like Luther and Calvin, the pioneer missionaries, William Carey, Hudson Taylor, Adoniram Judson, it will be helpful to us to keep the perspective of his faithfulness and loving kindness in times past. Long views backward, but also long views forward. What did the angel promise to Daniel? And I'm sure that this gave Daniel a tremendous confidence looking forward. The angel, speaking of the Son of Man in chapter 7, said to Daniel, he said, his dominion, is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. That reminds me of another angelic utterance in Revelation chapter 20 uh, chapter 11, I'm sorry. You know Handel's Messiah? You know Handel's Messiah, there's a song in there where it is. it says this, "The kingdom of this world, is become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and what? And he will reign forever and ever. Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. We need to keep the perspective, past and future. We're acting like God was caught off guard by what's going on in America. He isn't. Is he surprised by what's going on with the Islamic jihadists, the terrorists in our part of the world, in French speaking Africa, which is taking the lives of tens of thousands of innocent people, most of whom are also Muslims? Is he worried? The one whom we worship and whom we pray, is he worried? Is he threatened? Read Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage? And the peoples and rulers devise a vain thing. And then it goes on. He who sits or is enthroned in the heavens laughs. We need to remember who he is. When we lived in Africa, we had four kids. Three of our four kids were born overseas. Um... We had like seven movies that was in our entire repertoire. We had Remember the Titans, which my kids could quote verbatim. We had uh, Anne of Green Gables, which my girls especially loved. Uh, we had a film on basketball called Hoosiers. <laughs> this is where we were. I know younger people don't. That doesn't mean anything to you. And there were also two films which were my favorite about Snowy River, The Man from Snowy River and Return from Snowy River. You may never have thought of them, but they were my favorites because they had this guy in there named Jim Craig, and he was a super horse rider, and he could ride his horse up and down mountains like nobody else could. And so in the second film, a bunch of bad guys stole all his horses, and so he's going to go get them, and so he takes a shortcut over a steep mountain, and he gets up on top of the mountain ridge and the, and the bad guys with all his horses down below, they see him and the main uh, enemy says, oh, he's outsmarted himself, there's no way down. And then the guy next to him, the other bad guy said to the first bad guy, don't forget who he is. That's what I have to say to you this morning. Don't forget he? Who is he? Who is he? Who is he? I was a high school and college student in the 60s and 70s, and I'll tell you the truth, we are all carried away by end times fervor. There was so much talk about the rapture when I was in high school and college. Hal Lindsey had just written this book, The Late Great Planet Earth. The nation of Israel, the young nation of Israel, had just destroyed the Arab armies in the 18-day war in October of 73. Dr. John Volverd, who went on to become president of Dallas Seminary, he wrote a book entitled Oil, Armageddon, and the Middle East Crisis. Conspiracy theories abounded. The Council on Foreign Relations and the World Council of Churches, and they're in cahoots. There was a resurgence of the John Birch Society in its ultra-conservative far-right position. Henry Kissinger was the Antichrist. Christ was coming soon. We believe that. It was preached in our evangelical churches where we were. The only thing that mattered, we've got to get the gospel to every person before the end comes. I was invited to join every honorary club at Fort Hayes State University. I was invited to join the Agriculture and Leadership Clubs. I didn't join any of them. One time. One time. One spiritual. Got to get the gospel to every person. Christ is coming back at any time. Been 50 years. Where is the promise of his coming? Where is the promise of his coming? That's what Peter wrote. Where is the promise of his coming? And then Peter says, hey, don't let this fact escape your notice. What fact is it? Don't let this fact escape your notice. What is it? That with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Keep that perspective of long views. You know, according to those words, since Jesus walked in Palestine, we've lived two and a fraction days. Yes. Two millennium. We have lived two point zero zero one day days since Jesus lived. It will help us, I think, to be good propagators of the light, of the gospel, of the grace of God if we keep this eternal perspective, looking backward and looking forward. He has been faithful, he has always been sovereign. He is the same he cannot change and he'll be that tomorrow. So may we be like those who are looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. May we be among those who are looking for and hastening the coming the day of God. Let's pray. Father, we don't understand a lot. You live outside of time. How we thank you for what's been written and left to us from you in the scriptures who tell us who you are. And thanks for really revealing yourself in Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for becoming our Savior. The light came into the world, and the darkness could not overpower you. The darkness could not comprehend you. You said, in the world, you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Ah, Father, just take these thoughts And help each of us to walk in the light, to serve you, and to be a propagator of the light of the gospel of your grace in Jesus. Amen.